We're going to actually go into the big book and read starting at the final chapter of page 67 on through to 68, where it talks about our fears. Do you want to read, Ken? Sure. <clears throat> Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Miss Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It is an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classified with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. Uh, we asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Perhaps there is a better way. We think so. For we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns, just to the extent that we do as we think he should, he would have us do, and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? We never apologize to anyone for uh, depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages... Um, is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. Okay, we'll, we'll stop there because then yeah. it gets into the sex inventory right after that, <clears throat> which is interesting because I did the... Um, Sex inventory, and then I did the fear inventory. And a couple of things real quick, because that's heavily God, our creator, um, language. And so for anyone at home, what I found helpful in considering a higher power, I don't have any problem with God. Um, my specific idea of God is more of like a collective consciousness of spiritual love and truth, as opposed to a collective consciousness of fear and the need to control. And so, and there's some component parts within that collective consciousness. So the, there would be a God and you could call it he, she, they, whatever. I call it God consciousness. It's not a genderfied thing. And again, I'm not here to get into any sort of like um, ecclesiastical commotion or have a debate about any of this. This is just my own unique connection to infinite truth and the way that I articulate that connection to, to, to spiritual love and truth in my own verbiage. So each person I encourage to, I pray and I hope that each person is able to cultivate, cultivate their own unique connection to that same higher power and be able to express it in their own way, to explain it in their own way. That's part of the beauty of this, where it says God is we understood him. Um, and so but the bottom line is, is when I am in the love and truth consciousness, when I am in God's greater power, I have a greater perspective that's outside of myself. I can see myself 
I can see the little games I'm playing. I can see my patterns of like, um, well, I can see we talk in this, this the, as we're going through this, we talk often about the alcoholic avatar or the trauma avatar. You could call it my little, my little self or my ego or whatever that thing is. But that part of me, which is very much in fear and needs control, I'm able to look at that objectively rather than be in it and try to just be controlling and manipulating. Does that make sense to you? Um, do you have anything to share on that with your own? I mean, I, if I'm not consciously connected uh, with my higher power or making an effort to surrender mm -hmm. on a daily basis, then I am running amok mm -hmm. and I'm trying to play you know puppet master with everyone okay so it's caused so many issues for me in life yeah because in inherently and in, in just the way that the brain is designed there's three layers to the human brain so there's the instinctual part of the brain or the reptilian brain that part of the brain which is controlled by the five senses and through which sensory stimuli will trigger it and activate it and make our whole mind become reactive then there's the emotional brain and then there's the rational brain and the rational brain is that part of the brain that can receive and transmit spiritual insights it can gain conscious insight it has the ability to have a greater perspective if we have some sort of internal alignment with it does that make sense mm -hmm. so the way that we set up the fear inventory so that creates so instead of you could say a higher power you could say god or you could just say a greater per, um, a greater perspective than self a greater perspective um than the fear the fearful part of our nature so and the way that we uh went about setting up the fear inventory like it says in the big book i'm afraid of this why am i afraid of that okay how does this affect me and then the last part is when I'm not in that fear and control consciousness, when I'm living in alignment with my higher power, when I have a conscious contact, how does my life, how is my life look different? And what's the difference? So like, here's the fear. Why am I afraid? What, what, what does this fear of, for example, what's my fear of intimacy affect? Well, it affects all these things. And then finally, when I'm not in that fear, how does my life look? Is it different when I'm in that God consciousness, when I'm in that, you know, that greater perspective? Does that make sense to you? Okay. You want to read one? There's four, there's, there's, there's the fears. These are the fears that I had. Um, there's the fear of complete completion, the fear of success, the fear of intimacy, the fear of rejection, failure, oblivion, which is an interesting one self-sabotage or losing control and then responsibility and love those are the ones i have do you have one that jumps out at you that you'd want to hear, learn more about um no, not necessarily that i'd want to hear more about i find that success is interest an interesting fear okay because it's not usually something that people would have a fear about you know what i mean interesting okay would that would that would you ever have you ever thought about being fearful of success no no right interesting well and it's interesting because right after that before that pardon me it's the fear of completion so the fear mm -hmm. of success for me being someone and so what 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 is my fear doing well fear by nature is some it's like an emotional indicator letting me know that something's threatening i'm afraid of something there's something coming at me that is 
that I am imagining as being threatening or danger, dangerous. Right, right. And so that's why I'm afraid of it. So in my case, as someone who grew up in an alcoholic family where there was a lot of neglect, emotional neglect, people just weren't paying attention. If they were, it wasn't nurturing. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it was confusing and threatening. And so for me being someone who was my early experiences, I was conditioned to believe certain things about myself. I believed that I was not worthy of love. I believed that I was incapable of loving and doing things and, you know, no one saw me. So when you, when no one's looking at you, no one's seeing you, when the world's going too fast and you're just, no one, you, you, it's the absence of something essential that got me. I wasn't overtly traumatized by a bunch of people and I wasn't like physically beaten or like sexually molested, but there was just this omission, something I just didn't get attention. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. So I just decided I was like, ah, I'm irrelevant. I don't really matter. I don't really care. And so I, and then I, so I formulated some beliefs. So I'm afraid of success specifically because you want to read it? You want me to read it? You can read it. Okay. I mean, it's your, your thing. <clears throat> well, I, my established identity becomes threatened when I achieve success or creative recognition because success pushes up against or threatens the core beliefs I just mentioned. So the core beliefs I cultivated as a child, you know, that was my identity. And those beliefs are that I'm incapable, I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable, and I'm a victim. Those are just the ideas that I got about myself, mm-hmm. that I decided about myself through repeatedly experiencing my life as a small child. Mm-hmm. And that became my identity. And so when creative recognition starts coming in or completion or all these things that makes it seem like I am worthy and that I am lovable and I'm not a victim, I am personally responsible, there's this illogical fear that comes up. And so a lot of people would say, oh, you're a Mm self-saboteur, right? But I'm not a self-saboteur. I I mean, through a long time, and I was sharing a story with you before we started the podcast, like there's just a part of me that is insanely protective and has no connection to God consciousness. Mm -hmm. It has no greater perspective. It can't see itself objectively. It's like a glitch. And all it knows is that it's incapable, it's unworthy, unlovable, and a victim. And it's there to be a sentinel. It's like my insecurity guard. And so it's there to kick out any kind of experience that brushes up against what I've accepted as my identity and who I am. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so being a successful, complete, whole person doesn't resonate with this this, this avatar I created. Hmm. So... And that's the guy I love using the term avatar, like my alcoholic avatar, my trauma avatar, because my avatar has ideas, but that's not the truth. Right. So I can mm-hmm. let those ideas die and let my avatar, avatar transform into something that's consciously aligned. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. As opposed to dying with my ideas that don't serve me. These ideas don't serve me. Not only that, they're inauthentic and inaccurate. They're based on decisions I made as a five-year-old. Do you have any questions about that? That's interesting. It's a very interesting perspective. Um, I haven't, I haven't um, explored that part of myself too much in depth to like have a very good understanding of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure that there are fears and issues that 
would be seemingly positive for my life that the part of myself that doesn't want to let go of my identity won't allow to happen. Mm -hmm. But I haven't, you know, I haven't really thought about it that in into that depth. So would it be helpful to give another example for people who might just be trying to wrap their head around this? That's concrete. Sure. Yeah, because it's a lot. So for me, uh, for example, being raised by an inattentive, neglectful, alcoholic, overwhelmed, anxiety ridden single mom. Mm -hmm. That was someone who was just unavailable and dissociated and just checked out. When in, and so for me, that created a pattern of only going after addictively seeking out love and validation from emotionally damaged, unavailable, overwhelmed, narcissistic alcoholics. Mm -hmm. So my idea, if, if someone was ignoring me and they were completely emotionally unavailable, I was in love and I was going to go get them to fall right. in love with me. Right. And so, and if someone was like, I'm ready to cook food with you and play guitar and make music and let's make babies. I'm like, I'm out of here. I got, you're available. I don't know what to do with that. I have to emotionally punch you in the jaw and fucking kill, emotionally serial kill you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's another example of that. Like within the context of like emotional relationships that I just couldn't receive any of that. Okay. I understand. I understand that. It That's a successful seems, relationship. So there's not just well, success as but far you, as... Like it, if I'm understanding correctly, it sounds like you go into those relationships with that expectation that the other person is not going to be emotionally available. And so you, in your mind, it doesn't matter whether they're emotionally available or not. You're not having it you need them to be emotionally unavailable for you to like continue to chase them. That's super, so, super good. So you already know the answer to that. You already know how that ends. Well, and that's exactly, yeah. I mean, you are literally like, I am going, I am single-handedly seeking out and have this knack for picking a person who I know is going to be unavailable. Right. So what do I get to do? What's my payoff? I get to pretend I'm available right? and I get to pretend I am capable of doing all this stuff because I know she's not. And that started with, you know, the girls that started with in middle school and high school. And I bottomed out with it in my early like thirties with like meth or heroin addicted hookers, right. prostitutes, <laughs> sex workers. Though right, right. I went out and found the most emotionally unavailable women I could on the planet. And I would emotionally cut myself and act available with them, trying to get them to love me. Right. That was my game. That was my that was my pattern. So, and that's an that is an unsuccessful relationship. But for that avatar that believes he's incapable, he's unworthy, he's unlovable, and he's a victim, it's a success. I've hit the mark. I found the perfect person, and I can even recall one such relationship. Where I knew she, she, I, I even went out of my way to get her into. I had a friend who had an escorting business. She was a friend of mine who I perfectly knew through the program. We were trying to get sober. She came over to my house one night and she was telling, talking to me about like how you know now she's relapsed and she's chipping and she's like doing turning tricks, like with these this older like business guy getting like a hundred bucks. And I'm going, and I've liked this girl for like two years. You know, and so, but I went ahead and put her into, introduced her to the guy. 
She decided to start working for him. She had her first thing lined up. And as that was happening, I, I like, we fell in love. The next thing you know, like there's like, you know what I mean? I created this situation where she was and, 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 and she, well, I made her unavailable. Mm-hmm. And then I, we, we like, we were doing our thing. And then as soon as she, she started to have genuine feelings for me as she was doing this. So maybe she had the same thing. Maybe like when she has decided that when she is selling her body and on drugs that whoever she's engaging with that, 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 you know, it doesn't, I don't know what the whole deal was, but she became emotionally available to me and I completely flipped and I shut down and I just completely turned into an asshole. I nutted up. Mm -hmm. And so I'm emotionally available to my children today. And so that's, and it's taken 10 years, nine years of being a father to be available emotionally to anyone. So, and then why would I be afraid? I I talked about that and how would I be affected by that, that fear of success? Well, ironically, I have been driven to succeed in the past. So I've always been a driven person and I wanted success. Um, Those core self-defeating beliefs um, just mentioned before drove me to compulsively prove them wrong. So I believe I'm incapable, I'm unworthy, I'm a victim and all that stuff. And so what I'm doing on my end is I am driven to prove myself wrong. I am worthy. I am capable. I'm going to show the world. I'm going to build this big thing externally and everyone's going to validate me and they're going to think I'm special and I'm not going to be this piece of shit I believe I am. And then when I get it up to a certain point, then I would would, uh, knock it down. So, and that's what would happen. So I just played this game of building up my life and then knocking it down because like internally, um, I was in, like just a bunch of unintegrated experiences. I had no connection to my higher power. I had no like inner wholeness and joy. I didn't know what intimacy or connection was. I was a, like, what do you call those people who are like, are getting a lot of attention these days? Are they called narcissists? Something like that. Like as some person, I just didn't know how to connect. I was always cycling through people. I wasn't able to, I was, you, I would use a lot of people. I wouldn't be able to be real. Once I thought people were going to find out who I was, I would get rid of them. I could never like settle down and let people get to know me or see me. Um, I was constantly on high alert in fear that mm-hmm. someone would see the real me, this guy right here. And I was constantly compensating for that by building all this stuff outside myself to make myself look good. Does that make sense? Yeah. You we are compl- you're completely overwhelmed right now. I mean, it's it's very complicated. It's a complicated it's, it's game. It's complicated, and it's um, uh, it's it's just very interesting. It's not something that I have given a whole lot of thought to, so I can't say whether or not I can relate to it. Right. I'm sure there are aspects of myself that are very similar, but um, I mean, that's pretty deep. You know, it's not just like fear of losing my job or fear of financial insecurity or, you know, those kind of things where it's, it's very black and white as to, you know, the cause and how it makes you feel and everything like this is like some subconscious, like, 
yeah. underlying stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, this it's is pretty all, deep. This is all about my core beliefs that I right. accepted and created this alcoholic avatar on. And that, and that avatar separates me from God, makes me incomplete internally, and drives my behavior to do all sorts of things to invalidate myself, hurt myself, and keep myself in a disconnected state and isolated, where then it can beat me up. And then I reach out to drugs and alcohol to medicate that. That's that. That's just my alcoholic. That's the. That's the. The. And we'll go through a couple more. I'll just read them, and then you might see the patterns. So, but when I'm in spiritual alignment, when I am, when all that is not active, when I'm not actively in fear and protecting that identity, and in 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 creating things using my creative ability to invalidate myself in ways that I just described, when I'm in spiritual alignment, I am not living in my old established identity, nor seeking to validate these undermining beliefs. I'm not driven to compensate for this inner void or insecurity that I have when I'm in that fearful alcoholic avatar. Um, I'm not driven to build up huge external things that everyone can validate me for. Um, my concept of success becomes realistic and centered upon wholeness, connection, intimacy, friendship, things that are much more sustainable and tangible and human. And rather than just this, this need for external validation to compensate because I believe on these things. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. So basically I just created some fearful beliefs that keep me feeling insecure and they disconnect me from my higher power. So now I'm just this fragmented fucking fearful self. That's just basically manipulating everything to try to feel better. Hmm. And, and then we could go the fear of failure. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a very common one. So I define failure as a lack or deficiency of, of an essential or desirable quality. Um, it is this fundamental lacking, if real, that would be the root cause of every external failure I might experience. I have lived much of my adult life influenced by a belief that I was incapable or unworthy and unlovable and have spent much of my life manifesting these qualities of character that made these beliefs come true. So, um, when I'm, when, so I'm affected by this fear of failure. I willfully and deliberately use drugs and alcohol to invalidate myself, to sabotage creative opportunities, to push away potential in, intimate relationships. I did so, oh, I did this so I knew that I was in control and so nobody or nothing else could, could, fail on its own accord. So I was unwilling to let myself fail. I needed to control every aspect of the game. I wasn't willing to take the chance and ask the girl out because what if she said no? What if I put 100% into this thing and it didn't work out? Then I would just be a failure and I knew I was a failure. So I would half-heartedly give half of my efforts or I would give it, get it up to a certain point and then I would never give all of my heart because I was unwilling to feel the pain of really trying and then being a failure. So I live how far I live my life half heartedly. That's a tough one. You relate at all? Oh yeah. But I mean, those are the two opposite extremes. You know, you've got failure on one hand and success on the other, and there's kind of like there's kind of no in between. You know, in between is just trying. But well, I had to re. I had to introduce, uh, well, I had to introduce this concept of like, so instead of like, 
for example, Napoleon Hill's idea of the law of success, the successful person. He even touches on it in some later chapters. Have you ever read that book? So Napoleon Hill did like this book called Think and Grow Rich. It's like this oh, yeah. turn of the century like guy, like motivational writer, yeah. kind of ahead of his times. But even he touches on it in the later lessons. So Think and Grow Rich was a book that's like 300 pages that basically was a concentrated distilled version of this thousand page two volume thing he did the law of success which is 16 lessons and so you know and he even says and he says most people constitute success to like success with the dollar signs you know what i mean but as you move forward in your development you start to like look at success outside the terms of just financial or like that's why i joke around like my name's asher i'm a spiritual billionaire like i'm working on becoming a spiritual billionaire like that concept of like what's a spiritual billionaire like no one's ever even thought about that but what is that well, that's like literally living my life inside out, establishing and maintaining a connection to that abundance of spiritual love and truth within me. And the more that I give it away, the more that my vibration rises. The next thing I know, I'm just like living in like living whole and I'm connect, I'm plugged into my power outlet. And the more energy I get, the more power I get from the serve, the generation station, the generators or from like the, 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 the power plant. Mm-hmm. But when I'm before I was walking around living life outside in. So if the traffic was bad, right. then my life right. was bullshit. Right. If this happened, oh, I just got a flat tire. Fuck this day. Yeah. My fucking higher, higher power hates me. She did. She didn't call me back. She didn't text me. Now I'm down there. Oh, she called me back. Now I'm fucking great. Like right. just the roller coaster ride of all that. Like whatever externally is happening for me, that's determining my mood and my vibration. Yeah. And so that's like a spiritual thousand. A hundred, a hundred there, hmm. you know what I mean? So really being like, so reorganizing, cause you're saying it's either success or failure. But when I start to go, okay, if I am consistently nurturing my fundamental needs and I'm consistently living with a sense of security, when I'm living in the absence of fear mm-hmm. of imagined threat or danger, like I can imagine threat or danger, but the fear is not locking me down. I'm still interacting and i'm still moving forward with my damn not letting that fear lock me down Mm. like if um you know if i have connection in my life higher power and people that i love i have this sustained feeling of affinity with people if i have community like where i'm actually plugged in and participating with other people who share like-minded values and stuff if i have the ability to uh be intimate with people to actually share a sincere and authentic connection with people if I have the ability to communicate, to actually express my, you know, my thoughts, my desires, my needs, my wants, my boundaries successfully, then I can have relationships. So for me, all those kind of needs are what I'm focusing on. And if I do that, I'm spiritually successful. If I neglect all of those things, if I don't know how to tell people how I feel, if I'm constantly people pleasing, if I'm always living like you know, there's external circumstances or determining what's happening with me. Well, then I don't have, you know, then I don't have the baseline of what I need in order to be whole. Does that make sense mm-hmm. or no? Yeah, that makes sense. It's a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of self, subconscious, I think. Um, for me, I think like that fear that comes in is it's not a con it's not conscious it's not purposeful you know what i mean i'm not purposefully thinking the worst or putting myself in a fearful mentality 
but you do have to consciously bring yourself out of it, you know? Oh yeah. And it, it's like, it really is subconscious. Like if you're not, if you're not swimming upstream, then you're getting taken with the current. Type Absolutely. Of you know what I mean? That's a really good analogy. That's why six and seven for me is looking at all these defects of character showing, saying these are the patterns I lived my life on when I was in fear and I was disconnected from my higher power, and I was reaching for anything externally to make myself feel different, drugs, alcohol, mechanisms, intoxicants, whatever that is. These are the patterns I created. And so those are only a point of reference. I don't live in those today. That's all been arrested. That's in a state of dormancy right now because I'm constantly bringing my attention onto these desired patterns that I'm bringing into existence. That's only there as a point of reference. So I know if I start to get triggered into that or if I fall off my practice or once I wake up and I'm like, oh, now all of a sudden this world looks like shit and she looks like someone who's a secret destroyer is coming to get me. And this person's this and this looks really overwhelming. Oh, I'm back in that avatar. I'm back in that fearful vibration again. I brought all that to life now and I'm in that. Do I want to stay in that? No, I don't. I don't want to do it. I already know where that leads. I'm done with that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then I just do the practice and I keep like keep evolving or developing towards this desired state of this desired aim or the state of being that I want to be. I want to be someone I can have. I want to have an amazing like intimate relationship with a, a person. Well, I need to be able to tell her when I need her to fuck off. I need to tell her when I'm feeling a certain way. I need to have people I can go and talk to because she's not my therapist. Like there's all kinds of things right. that I need to do in order to have that relationship. But mainly I need awareness and I need consciousness and I need objectivity. I, I, I don't need to be this scared little five-year-old child trying to run around, do all this, which is basically what I'm describing here. I'm describing like a scared five-year-old child who had no awareness, no higher power, completely closed off in consciousness, just trying to figure shit out, trying to understand these really weird people in their in his life and why, what was going on. And just going, oh, okay, well, and slowly over time, I started to make decisions and define myself by those things. Yeah. And that's what we all do when we're little. Yeah. You know, like, like for in another podcast, we were talking about like, it's like I grew up with my sister and my mom. Both of them hated men. They hated my dad. The more I started to look, the more I started to look like them, the more they started to weird out and be triggered by my physical appearance. My jaw, the actual way my jaw and my mouth looked like my father would send them into like an unconscious state and they would be increasingly weird around me. Well, that that's a guy who's coming of age around two women who already hate men, already have ideas about my father, which have instilled ideas in me, number one, about men men's place in the world what men are value and like how like men are like unable to show up for their responsibilities how they're this way how they're that way and i'm going geez men must be terrible i don't know any other men i'm not around any other men so there's nothing to bounce this off of i just have these two women in my life who don't think highly of men and it made me have certain ideas about myself just from being consistently in their presence. And I'm not a victim of that, but it is a, something that I started to like think about. And so, and I need to have awareness. So like having that kind of a situation where basically I was constantly exposed to their ideas, I started to just out of human nature create ideas about myself. And I didn't like myself very much. I tried to be less manly. I tried to be, 
I would only like gravitate towards women. I wouldn't have relationships with men. Men were horrible to me, you know, just, and so I'm just giving an example of like, and that's that none of that's, you know, healthy or true. Like, and at the end of the day, I hated myself because I was a guy. I mean, you grew up with, you know, I mean, I, I, you grew up around women, but I don't, yeah. I don't know if it was a similar situation where they just didn't, I mean, my mom was telling me at age nine or 10 that my father gave her venereal diseases. Well, and like, I was just like, what, like, what is a venereal disease? And why are you telling me this? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, that's pretty rough. Um, but yeah, my, my situation is a little different just because, um, there were, uh, you know, my dad was around and there were other males present, but I knew growing up after a very short time that these women were out of their mind. Oh yeah. Like the chicks in my family, like their ideas, because it took me a while to understand, but after like looking at their history a little bit, like this is five girls and a mother that all grew up together with no male influence no father no brothers no uncles like that were there in the household just just them and so they all to this day believe that they know you know men very well and that they understand um the masculine aspect of life but you know still to this day the things that they say about men and their relationships are like insane to me and you could recognize that at a young age even at a young age listening to them in their little you know gossip circles talking about um their husbands and guys and this and that like it was very easy and clear to see that like these women's have like they had no point of reference for what they were saying there was no example that they don't know how to deal like with other guys and in turn, unfortunately didn't know how to deal with me. You know, they think that they do. Um, but yeah, it was very clear and seeing the way that my mom, um, and other women in my family dealt with like, uh, anger from me or like other, other men or the way that they kind of push and try and manipulate and think that they have control over the emotions of the other person in their life is like, it's just not accurate, you know? So, yeah, that was my deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you say like pushing and like trying to manipulate, like trying to fabricate feelings that weren't there or try to get, like get in people's head. And- like, yeah, just think that you have full control over, like you understand their emotions and you know their breaking point. You can push them to the breaking point and then, uh, you know, put them back together and build them back up. It's like you as a child, me or, as a child, as a male right. or the other men, you know, that were around in their adulthood. But it it was very clear to see early on that like, like, wow, they really have no idea like what men are like or what goes on in their minds. And they put themselves up on this pedestal and believe so highly that they understand them so well but it's like you had no frame of reference your dad you know their father died when they were very young Mm -hmm. they had no brothers no other male influence in their lives and not only that but um my grandmother was working for the entirety of their 
childhood. Mm-hmm. And so my mother being the oldest raised all of her sisters from, you know, the age of like eight or nine. Mm. And it's like, like, that's insane. To me. Yeah. 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 You know what I yeah. mean? Like you, it's like the blind leading the blind. And then that develops, you know, into teenage years and adulthood and you have these self-righteous chicks that believe that they, you know, know the the male psyche so well that they can control it. And it's like. And describe, because you really just, and, I, and something was like, go back and ask him specifically about that. Because what it sounded like you were about to describe was like a ritual of breaking someone down and then oh, building yeah. them back and up. The, Talk about the, that. The fucked up thing is like, now I'm, I notice that in my relationships, I tend to do do that a little bit myself do it's what like, like cool. you and f- like i'll talk about them because i don't want to talk like i don't want to put myself on the spot too much but um it's like they believe that they know um male psychology or whatever like i don't want to get too you know men and women both like i know men yeah because as know, opposed sounds, to like yeah. it sounds sexist and like except with this big separation but it's like they believe that they know the the psych, psyche of their partners and that they know where their breaking point is and that they can push them to their breaking point, have full control of their emotion and reaction. And then once they're broken down, force them to submit and rebuild this person like under their own control. And, and, and like as a child, like I think that, can you can you you have can you give any kind of an example without like just anything even if it's just a friend of a friend or there's a person down the street like anything that comes to mind just to help people understand oh, what you're talking about I don't know about an example but it's like like pu- just pushing somebody to the breaking point with either like an argument or by withholding love or affection yeah. or forcing somebody to um change their behavior or attitude or even perspective um by way of threat of withholding your love to a certain extent physical emotional sexual all of it yeah yeah and it's like like you can't do that that's really messed up and Mm -hmm. so i've noticed and i'm i'm catching it now more and more maybe not so much um when i was younger but I noticed that I tend to do that in my relationships a little bit as well. And I have to catch myself and stop. Like, I don't know where this person's breaking point is. I can't just, you know, break their lives apart and then come in and be like, I'm the one that's going to fix this for you. And I'm going to recreate you and make you this person in my own image. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, what kind of fucked up, like trying to play God bullshit is that? You that know? is it's fucking like, playing God's yeah, bullshit. And, I, and when I saw that with, you know, um, these women in my family and their partners, it's like, like you, they don't know, you know, it might've been a little better if they did know like where this person's breaking point is, how to control them, but they didn't, they just had this ridiculous idea of where, how hard they could push them. Yeah, exactly. And to get them just enough over the edge to break them down. And then like, put them back and be like, I'm your savior now. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But instead, they as opposed to being this independent thing, now you're I'm your higher power, and I've broken you down. And you can actually can I real quick, but hold your thought. Working at Trader Joe's, especially in Glendale, I see all these couples, right? And you could tell the ones where there's what's that word? Reciprocity. Something where it's balanced and they interact and all this, and you could tell the ones where she's broken him down and put him back together. Yeah. And he's just literally this automaton or the, yeah. this thing that's literally just like yeah. in her, she's like now the sun and he's just a planet right. revolving around that sun. And, and I think it, it and there's works, no higher power. Yeah. It works in, in both ways both in ways. relationship, depending on, you know, who does what, but in my specific example, I'm just talking about, you know, um, just the way these chicks were brought up. But it's the absence of like, cause like metaphysically you could say like feminine and masculine energy, like the bal- the, the absence of something to well, balance that out creates I, that. I, I agree with that, but at it's like the same a cult. time, like I, I don't think it's necessarily has to do with um, masculine and feminine. I think it's just more about um, dominance and control and you know, ha- like all these, I don't, I don't know exactly how it ties in or exactly how it was created, but their upbringing caused every single one of these uh, women to be absolute control freaks. Okay, they have puppy strangle syndrome with all of their children, which means that, um, you know, they squeeze them and squeeze them until they accidentally kill them. You know, they want. They want full reign and full control of everything and everyone in their lives. And I get that because they didn't have a father figure. They grew up in this, um, you know, difficult environment, raising each other. And it's it, it was like a war between all of them growing up for control. Right. And so I see that in their own lives. But it's like instead of instead of having the desired effect of like, you know, pushing someone just to the breaking point and then rebuilding them, it's like. They completely like miss the mark. Yeah, destroy somebody's psyche. You know, like not to be a dick or anything, but aside from one who, no offense, if they ever hear this, aside from one who has, in my opinion, a absolutely miserable marriage, the rest of them have all been divorced or are already onto their second partner or third partner. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like. Like you, you can argue whatever you want. They can put up whatever arguments they want to, but the proof is in the pudding. Those are, those are unsuccessful relationships based on the way that they were conditioned growing up. That's the proof. That's for me, that's proof enough right there. But for their, you had a successful marriage, but them, that part of them, which is, you know, like, cause they all like coming out of that experience when dad died and then they were all kind of trying to figure it out. And then we went from like to a matriarchal thing and they were all fighting for power and whatever. They all started turning on their little avatars and getting their own ideas of things. And they started more and more like, they lived in that like that fear vibration yeah and then they started creating those ideas about themselves and they started creating those ideas about men what they needed to do in order to feel okay and to get feel control because yeah. once they slipped into fear they became obsessed with controlling people like you're talking about like just controlling the male psyche of their partners yeah and i mean a, a part of the dominance i think that that is universal um, with almost all of them, I would say is like massive emasculation. Um, they all emasculate their partners like to a point of insanity. 
And what's I, that mean, or what does that look like? Um, this is fascinating because that this is what I this is what I'm. I don't have the words for what happened to me, mm-hmm. but I was feminized. And I was very much like my male energy right. out of controlness or whatever. I had to completely subdue it and act like this passive, like, like thing. And then I, it blew up because then I was class clown at school. Like it was coming out somewhere. Like I had to be a boy and be crazy and be doing stuff somewhere. So it was happening at school. But then I'd slip into this other thing at home because they, I need, they needed to be, she needed to feel okay around me. Like I couldn't overwhelm her. Yeah. Does that one, you know what I'm saying? But like what you're describing is like the, like what the, you're describing the demasculinizing process that like I experienced, but don't have a recollection of, but ended up with these ideas about myself. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what does that look like? Um, just reveling in their failure. The, the, the parents the, or the kids failure? The, the women and their partners and, and not, I think this can go both ways. This I'm, again, like it's not a mass, not, it's, it's not, not a gender thing. Yeah, I'm just trying to say, like in my situation, this happened to be the women mm-hmm. that did this. Like no judgment, but um, and one of the other things I noticed is like with uh, no offense, mom, but to her second partner, she tended they they worked together, and she was he was her subordinate after they got married for a long period of time. And it seemed like she would always set him up for failure and give him tasks that she already knew he would fail at. She already knew was impossible so that he could fail. She could put him on the pedestal as a failure. That way he would have no choice but to submit to her dominance in the relationship. And then not leave her because he was so nothing without her. Um, you know, like another, another one of my aunts, the only one that's still, that's still married, um, at any family function or anything where there's a group of people around, she makes sure that everyone sees her emasculating her husband in public. What does that look like? She, she has to put him on the spot. She has to yell at him, tear him down. Um, she will literally, you know, he'll be there and she'll literally yell at him and say, shut up. Nobody wants you here. Everyone knows that you're, you know, a piece of crap, like get out of here. We hate you basically. Mm -hmm. And she says this in front of everyone. And personally, I don't like the guy. I think he, I just don't like him. He's always rubbed me the wrong way. And he's not somebody that I would choose to socialize with. Yeah. But even as someone that like, I don't, I don't have any respect for I still think that that's just ridiculous. And I, I feel for him, you know, I, yeah. I just like the poor guy, you know, mm-hmm. that must be miserable to be in a relationship like that. And at this point she's like turned her own son against him as well. You know, it's just, that's, it's just and that's, 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 that's that guy's fault. Fa- that guy's father. Yeah. Wow. You know, and it's like, she'll literally tell us, the family at every family function like yeah me and logan sit sit and just think we wish that he would just disappear from our lives and it's like damn like that's heavy yeah it's it's harsh and she in her mind she thinks like i'm in control i appear dominant you know my sisters respect me for putting this man in his place yeah and it's like you look like an absolute tyrant and nobody like 
ridiculous. None of none of these people should be in positions of authority. I hate to say it, like yeah, they sound like dictators, like like ty- none tyrants. Of them, tyrants. None of them should be in positions of, of authority. And like, do you mind if we back up a sec and sure. just kind of like we'll go to the the queen bee mm-hmm. and just like because there's these are all the the queens. Yeah. The, these are the queens bees that you're describing. But then there's the queen. And are, do you have any insights about what the queen instilled to these five? Uh, matriarchs well personally i i would say that because this was the person who had a partner die and he died a specific way queen would be my mom your mom's now the queen i would say she was always oh she was a certain extent okay Um, because your grandma was just always working and never there right so she had the most influence over them on a daily basis i would say the most because they're all very close in age so i don't know about influence but i think probably the most control Mm. to a certain extent um, but yet they still was so you're saying the main thing that happened was when the grandpa died, his absence created a void that was kind of vacuum that kind of was filled in with all this nonsense was like, cause then I think it's cause you mentioned your left. the grandma before and she's got an interesting thing oh, going she's, on. She's like still stuck in a story from like oh, 50 yeah. years ago. Right. She, that's another one. She's going to, but the that's the first, one. Yeah. She was the only adult in the room when those girls were young. Yes, and her own, she's she's got her own like that. Like just thinking about it makes me angry because she's just gnarly. And everyone, uh, everyone in my family thinks my perspective is very harsh, and I'm like, like way too hard on everyone. Which to a certain extent, I'm sure I am. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the observation is not false. You know what I mean? Right. My, my emotions on top of it, and my Maybe some of my judgments are probably incorrect or skewed. Yeah. But the facts are not. Like, it's simple. So they all have, like, I want to touch on grandma for a second. Mm-hmm. But first, it's like, so you're definitely, uh, like, so getting back to this inventory, because I'm just trying to make it as uh, understandable as possible. Mm-hmm. Those women have specific ideas about men. And they have a specific idea about they the, the dynamics they need to create with these men. Right. And they have ideas about what men are. And they have ideas about what they have to be in order to have a relationship with a man. Those are all ideas, right? Right. Is that true or no? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. I they mean, don't have any awareness extent. of it. Right. They're, they're not conscious of any right. of it. I think they're on surviving. a level, it is very subconscious, but... I just like there there was no example mm-hmm. um and no, I don't mean example by like by like leader or anything like not like the dad sets the example but it's like right. like a brother or something just one brother in that group of five girls to see what um a healthy man looked like yeah or just you know just any man or or boy growing up and just the slight differences in um perspective and attitude and you know aggression and things like that which is is, something you kind of are the person you've kind of cultivated that you've become that person because your thing might be way over here but at least it's balancing off the insanity you see on the other side it's like it's kind of like a check it's a little bit of like they don't all agree with you they might think you're harsh or whatever but you still are seeing things a different way than they are yeah but i've um even ra- being raised in it, though, that's interesting that you're 
I mean, you must have had to go through some sort of rebellion phase to get pushed away from all that. So you weren't being the one being broken down and built up. And I all mean, that. it wasn't like it. I wouldn't put myself in the same category as as romantic partners, right? Right. Just because um, it's a little bit different, and I think that you know, my mom and aunts, of course, wanted the best, um, the best for me. Not when. when we, like, they don't the want the best for these partners. Right. Not necessarily yeah. like it sounds harsh saying it like that, but it's like their goal was not necessarily to make their partner as successful and happy as possible. It was more on the lines of control. To break that partner down to make him absolutely dependent on them so that he would never leave them. Uh, I don't know about dependent, but maybe like to submit to submit to their will okay. type of thing. You know what I mean? And maybe so not necessarily like dependent because they don't want the responsibility of having well maybe on, they're saying they don't want it but maybe they really get off on being the martyr who can complain to their friends about this guy that they have like you were describing as their maybe the payoff of that being able to be like complain to their sisters and their friends about this guy and what a jerk and everything that they have to do and just put on the martyr thing and be that there might be a payoff there that we don't even know about maybe but um because something in makes that, them in like in that specific instance, I think it's more about showing that they have dominance over their partner, not necessarily that they are the victim in the situation. You know what I mean? Like not the victim, like the, the martyr. martyr. I mean, it ha kind of has a victim connotation. Though, martyr. Yeah. Well, it, she's the, but it's the inversion of that. Like, for example, because I'm someone who is in recovery, I'm recovering. I was conditioned in a certain way, and I created called defects of character that I would have been magnetized to one of your aunts had I not done all the work and become aware that like I would have been looking to be dominated and I would have been looking for someone that like all I'm saying because I know the kind of relationships that I was seeking out and choosing and so there's a whole set of like character defects that like magnetize this guy to your aunt well that's true but also I don't I wouldn't necessarily say that they're emotionally unavailable no, no, no. I'm saying in general, I'm not get out of the emotionally available thing. I'm saying the there's core parts. Like I was conditioned and I'm vibrating against this frequency now. And I think I'm a certain way and I think women are a certain way and I'm hardwired and I can take it back to my roommate. When I moved into this person's house 10 years ago, instantly I started going unconscious. Next thing I know, I started like almost feeling like I needed my mom. And I was living in this relationship with this person and I went unconscious. And next thing you know, I was like feeling myself completely dependent on this person. Yeah. In I a can. weird way that I wasn't when I wasn't like consistently exposed to her energy. Yeah. And she's someone who doesn't like, like she's very like needs to dominate and be that way. And I was very much like, uh, like someone who was not done the work yet and was, could submit in a similar way to my one daughter who's alpha. And she, I would like get angry at her in a way because I hadn't done the work yet. And now I'm in that, like through the weights, through all the training, I've, I've activated that more like, I'm just going to call it masculine, that other part of my nature, not the receptive, but the expressive part of me that can be set boundaries and be a thing and lay down laws and say this. She really likes it, my daughter. The more that I become a man or a balanced human being who can say what I need and they know where they stand and they know all this stuff where before I was like passive and kind of all up in my feelings mm -hmm. and just kind of this other thing until I activated that thing and became a balanced, consciously aligned person that, that I was going to be dominated, whether it was by this person, past relationships or this four-year-old. Right.
You know what? Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? I can relate to that because I've definitely been, um, like, I have to remind myself that it is a level of conditioning that brings this emotion up. But like, there are certain aspects of a relationship where the other person is, I wouldn't necessarily say dominant, but I would say in con more control than I am, uh -huh. where there is a level of like safety that comes up for me. And I do have like a level of security that I'm like, Oh, I like this person, like being in control. I like this person, like, you know, not letting me just run amok. Right. But at the same time, like, but when they need control yeah, it's a and they different. need to take yeah, your power little, in order to feel control, yeah. that's fear. Right. They they are afraid to not be in control, so they need control, and that's where they siphon the power from. Yeah. And if I'm not aware that that's going on, next thing I know, I'm just shrinking. Right. And I'm addicted, and I'm this, and I'm literally – but at the same time, I'm living in this place where it's like, oh, you don't need to pay rent. You don't need to do this. You can just kind yeah, of exist. Like, like it's okay. You just, yeah, just uh, all hip, all hips and bosoms, just kind of like, you know, I got you, just like <laughs> all hips and bosoms. Yeah, just like because right. it is, and I'm just like, right, wait right. a minute, I'm gone, and so now I go in ten days a month, but I'm bringing this into me now, and now when things come up, nope, instantly when that dynamic turns on, I recognize it, and I'm like, Boom, no, because I love having these these beliefs be in dormancy. I love having that alcoholic trauma avatar be dormant and asleep. And for me to have these new range of possibilities and powers available to me. So the minute I feel something that like gets someone coming in, wanting to activate a dynamic and pull me into that avatar and that fear vibration. And now all of a sudden I'm afraid of success and all these other things are popping on. I can recognize it and I can acknowledge it and I can say, no, don't do that. We're not doing that. And I can, you know, what you want to call it getting into my masculine side or whatever, but I'm able to, instead of receiving all that and making that mine and then becoming like uh, a victim of it, I'm able to express being my masculine expressive nature express back no that's okay slap that bitch like on the cheek pat her on the butt send her on the road we're not doing that anymore remember come on let's do this like let's go and then they get back in the line it's just like a wolf pup slapping the little pup you know like wow. my like you just like basically like i'm the one who's setting the stage this is what we're doing now i'm not playing that other dynamic they're more than willing to play that dynamic they don't want to change they're not doing all the work i'm doing i'm doing it. I'm introducing these possibilities into these people's lives because I am only willing to have a relationship with these people if we recreate this dynamic. If we keep the old dynamic, I have no interest in being your life and you're on your own. That's where we're at with this. So you're either going to adjust and you're going to bend your will to this desired possibility that I'm introducing you to and I'm enrolling you in, or you can keep playing your games, but you got to find a new participant. Well, I mean, I get it. Um, and I don't do it perfect in every moment. No, I know. But it's, it's just definitely like that, that. The way that you word it, that it does sound like like a different um, aspect of dominance on your end. You know what I mean? Because it's like you're, it's like a take it or leave it type of choice. Absolutely. There's no, there's no middle ground. Absolutely. Yeah. If you need me to be someone who's reliant on you and, and needs you to take care of me, if you, it's so you can feel put off upon and you can go be a martyr and complain to all your friends about how bad, whatever. If you want to do that narrative and get into that character and do that whole thing, I, I, I'm fine. I'm only interested in having a reciprocal relationship with you where we can, you know, 
be focused on mutual fulfillment, not this thing where we're dependent and doing all this right. stuff. So I don't need you to be a certain way, but these are patterns that I, when I am, when I, when these defects are active, I am in fear and I am in anxiety. And if I remain in fear and anxiety long enough and these patterns remain active long enough, I will use drugs and alcohol. Right. If I'm back in your house and I'm participating in this, uh, this dynamic, no matter how good my intentions are, I will relapse on meth if I, if, if I don't check it. So I don't need her to play my game. I just need this game that I've recognized as being self-defeating and undermining my purpose as a sober person who's recovering. I need that to be asleep and not, right. not to be the focus of our relationship. Does that okay. make the that difference? Sounds, that sounds much better. Thank you for helping yeah. me to clarify the way, that. The way we have 30 seconds. It, it's like you can take it or leave it like yeah. you know, my way or the highway. Oh, yeah. No, because it's definitely been a subtle, nuanced thing where we've been working through stuff. It's not like I just need, okay, you've been doing something for 10 years and now you got to either do the thing or fucking there's the door. No, that's not. But in, you know, but it's that serious to me. I see. Because I can't live in a separated, disconnected, anxious, fearful state persistently because the, the fear and the anxiety is what makes that, that fear and that anxiety is what makes that alcoholic character come to life and then i break out in meth pipes yeah but it's the fear that makes me have the allergic reaction to break out into whatever my drug alcohol right. is so I, I can't live in fear yeah i'm like an orchid bro can't live in fear i can't live in fear i cannot live in fear i can live in the absence of fear i can be neutral i don't have to be in love the in the love consciousness that's my ideal Right. But I know, just like it says in the AA literature, like we're striving to grow along spiritual lines. When I'm in fear, I need to be able to recognize I'm in fear and acknowledge it and take steps to bring myself out of that. Yeah, that's tough. Because if I'm in fear all the time, bro, I'm already, I'm, where's my higher power in that? I'm already in addiction. Yeah. Whether it's calling that's, the girl and listening to her for four point. hours. Yeah. Like, I know I'm literally over here thinking like, damn, he's got a point. I'm over here doing all this crap. And there's no judgment in no, it. No, I know. Because you're not actively drinking and driving right, your right. fucking, your motorcycle into an 18 wheeler and right, killing right. everything, right. you know? So it's the better thing. So we're not like trying to be perfect, dude. We're human it's beings. tiny step. <laughs> yeah. But that we, that is the addiction. Yeah. It's the persistent state of anxiety and fear and spiritual disconnection that makes those defects of character come to life. The fear is the activating agent in that. Yeah. And the activating agent in possibility and creating new possibilities is the absence of fear first and then actually being able to connect to spiritual love and truth and work with that power to create those possibilities. Yeah. Anything you want to close with? Uh, no, just... Um... Hope our listeners don't judge me too much from my <laughs> perspectives. Like this is just a one particular situation. This is not my general perspective on relationships or you know women in general. Yes, yes. please, please. Like yeah, and that goes with me too. I'm we're not describing women in general, and not even men in general, and not even men or women. All I'm saying is that, and I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for Ken right now. I've done a lot of esoteric investigation on this subject. And when they talk about the masculine and feminine genders that are the it's a dual aspect that every human being has. Every human that. being has a receptive nature that's right. doing the active creation, which you might call the subconscious. And every human being has a masculine or expressive part, that part which is actively creating. I agree. 
and outpouring or outputting that which the the, the subconscious is yeah. creating. And if the subconscious is cluttered with fear, fear impressions and shit like that's on my fear inventory, well, then that it, it's already handicapped and uh, and 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 hampered and put severe limitations on that masculine or expressive part of our nature to do its job and protect both of them. Right. And that's why that thing freaks out and does all this bullshit to make it like, that's why it goes to insane lengths and starts karate chopping people and, and stop sabotaging and blowing everything up because it doesn't have the tools because it was never developed. We've always been, and people who are raised around a lot of that energy that don't have the expressive or the masculine part, male or female yeah, in it themselves. Matter. It doesn't matter about what your fucking plumbing looks like. Yeah. Every human being has a dual nature that's masculine and feminine. And if you're only in your feminine and you're completely hundred percent receptive, you have no expressive thing. You have no capacity to express what you need, say what you want, set boundaries, be assertive, be able to participate in relationships. Male and female. And all you're going to do is like what Ken described is just dominate people or be dominated. Right. And that works for a lot of people. No yeah. judgment. Yeah. I'm just over it. Yeah. And I think there's, um, I, I think some of like the best relationships I've had and the best examples of relationships, it's like each partner has, has a, a good balance of like positive or masculine and feminine um, energy in different aspects that complement each other. Yeah, it's in different situations, war. right? Yeah, like different it's, situations. It's not a war. It's not a competition. Like one doesn't have to be in more control over the other. It's just you know, it's a it's an ebb and flow, in my opinion. Perfect. So that's awesome. Anyway, all right, you guys. 